It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gatherings of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, today, Jeremy, we're going to jump in once again to um, the internet and uh, e-leadership, the rise of digital leaders and their influence. Uh, you and I have been lucky enough to actually sit down and, and chat with a couple of people who run you know, remote-only organizations, and it, it's been really interesting talking to them because they seem to have a different mindset when it comes to work and how they want people to work. They're, they're not, inter- at least the ones we've talked to, you know, they're not really interested on spying on their employees. It's basically, you know, are you getting the work done? And that's what they seem to be focused at. It seems, at least from the ones that I've talked to, that many of their workers are, are better able to establish a positive work-life balance um, we know that once again, online and remote is a trend that seems to be coming. There's a lot of pushback, but you know we often talk about the lack of training for leaders, and now we've got brand new technology. And once again, I'm not sure there's a lot of great training that's being accessed out there for those who are now leading online. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And doing the research for today, it was kind of it was crossing this line and going between digital leadership and then e-leadership, and then combining the two. So we're going to we're gonna start off and, and just try to be clear on what the difference is between the two. So digital leadership is really leading uh, the digital workspace and the use of technology and being visionary in terms of what technology can be used in the organization. So we're going to start off with that aspect uh, first, and then we'll start to incorporate um, what, when we look at actual e-leadership. So how do you how do you lead from that perspective of, you know, the distance, right? So there's two particular there's two or two studies that we're going to pull from mostly today and I'm going to share that doc in the chat. I just have to it won't let me load it because I'm looking at it. I have to close it and then pop it back in. So when there's a break I'll I'll share this doc. It's about a I don't know, 10-page, 12-page uh document where I've highlighted some stuff, compiled some of the research from this particular article with some key points, relevant questions, insights. And the two articles um, are, one is, I can't even pronounce the author's names at all, so I'm not gonna try. Digital Leadership, a Systematic Conceptual Literature Review. And the other one is, and I'll put those references in as well. And the other the other reference is um, from Basu 2022, Impact of Digital Platform on E-Leadership. So that first one is more on what is di- digital leadership, and then the second one is what is e-leadership based on how that digitization influences things like you're talking about, Tom, like employee engagement, effective strategies for managers, that digital culture, various stakeholders, ethical concerns, 
and all those uh, all those goody points. And you know, we we often think about digital as well. It's the larger corporations. I mean, these are the big businesses for the most part, which are you know experimenting with this. But isn't it true to say that a lot of smaller, almost mom and pop companies are starting as digital organizations, and therefore, even with small companies, digital leadership or e-leadership is is an important aspect. Yeah, it's going to be it's an important aspect regardless moving forward. It's 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 it's, it's funny. I had to do for this organization I work with. I had to do one of those tech trainings, and I com- I completed it earlier today. You know, like, hey, your password and and don't click on phishing scams and whatnot. And it was funny because it said on one of the points, it said, uh, and of course, it has the voiceover. You may have uh, noticed in recent news something called artificial intelligence. So it just kind of drove home how this thing is so it's been around again, like we've talked about for decades. But then it really we're we're letting it six months until it's hit, you know, our, 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 our culture now. So there's going to be, there's quite a bit in terms of leading, like you're saying, taking uh, advantage. I've also identified some like what, is, what e-leadership is not, because we're going to talk about what it is and then what uh, digital leadership is and isn't. But I'll start off in terms of just the, so the digital leadership. Uh, digital leadership is a style that focus on, is obviously focuses on implementing digital transformation within an organization. And I love, I say this uh, tongue in cheek, I love when a definition includes the word in the definition, because it really doesn't provide a definition. It enables enterprises to digitize their work environments and learning culture. So basically, you're taking, like looking at, if you're a digital leader, what's your contribution to transforming uh, skill and like your own skill, but also looking at the the skill of a particular community within a workforce, and how do you identify what others' self interest are, what they need, and allowing them to maximize their potential as well as the company's potential to where they want to be through the use of technology. Um, <laughs> there's also a, a couple key points in terms of the difference. The concept of digital leadership is closely related to e leadership but focuses more on guiding the transformation of the company digitally. And when you look at some of the key points of digital leaders, it's almost like you think we, we've talked a lot, uh, Tom, you and I have interviewed a lot of thought leaders. So that's, it's kind of what I think of and, and thought futurists as they like to call themselves. Yeah. So they're basically visionaries, change motivators, and people who create these opportunities for collaboration. They're thought leaders in the digital space. And then when we have e-leadership, we're talking about how do we actually utilize that? And for those of you in the chat, uh, for those of you in the audience, I did put the uh, the notes in the chat, which do include the references for today as well. Tom? So so let me take you back to the real world. <laughs> Please. Where a, where a company goes, we got to get more digital. And so they turn to their IT department to figure out how to do it. And then we have IT people talking to people like me going, we're doing this and here's what you need to do. But I can't exactly call that leadership. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, up on from high, we have been given this mandate, but how do we get from point A to point B? There doesn't really seem to be any set method. It's just, let's throw some money at it. We're going to go more digital and we'll figure it out and we'll let our IT department run it. And I'm not exactly sure that they're the best people depending on you know their skills and backgrounds uh to be doing this what's what's interesting pulled from this article is that when you look at who so who who's a digital leader and that can be anyone in an organization at any any different level and you touched on a couple of things that are action items and, and and implications so one of the things you asked about the how part so one of the, the how parts is Organizations should start prioritizing the development of digital leaders specifically who can drive that change, innovation, and collaboration. And not necessarily, it doesn't have to be someone in the IT department. So it's starting to identify who's a change agent within the organization. Who can we uh, bring on as an advocate for this particular digital change initiative? And then how do we very specifically create a plan to develop them based on understanding all the kinds of different perspectives in the organizations, 
the different cultures of different silos within organizations, the different context in terms of where will this technology help? What adaptations are needed? What ad- what adaptations are needed for the workforce to start to apply this? And then also be on the lookout for certain concerns, because of course, there are going to be people that can say, okay, well, we have this issue. Can this one, you know, what singular or, or um, combination of technology is needed? And it's a, it's a heavy lift. It's absolutely a heavy lift. But the first thing is really just prioritizing the development. Like who do we develop as these leaders? And then it's asking uh, questions, you know, questions for the organization in terms of uh, what are the fundamental, fundamental characteristics of what we're looking for? What are those and what we're looking for in a digital leader? How do they align with our organization's own leadership? And overall, again, going back to all these perspectives, how can we meet the challenges of multiple stakeholders? But do you find organizations are taking that initial step and actually thinking about this or with the speed of technology development, they're just rushing blindly forward? I don't I don't know, because all of this has kind of hit us pretty quick within the past. I mean, it just seems like it just hit us. real. But now that I think about it, it's just AI is just so in our faces all the time right now. But when you look at it, I mean, how long has this stuff been around? It's been around for a, a much long enough time. So I'd say companies are really doing a good job with it. I mean, Slack didn't exist 20 years ago. How many companies you zoomed in? Like, like they're using it. All, all these things like 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 uh like your ClickUps for project management, Google Docs for uh, collaborating on single docs. OneNote, you can share notes and you can share entire notebooks with other people and you can work on those things in tandem. So there's all kinds of, of technologies that have been used. Um, and you look at different organizations too. Some organizations are you know, I work with some organizations and they work only with Microsoft Teams. And when I try to use a, and, and when their Teams doesn't work and they're like, hey, send me a Zoom, it's 10 minutes because they're like, I never use Zoom. I don't know how to use Zoom. <laughs> so it's interesting when these companies a- adapt to a technology. Yeah, it's 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 overall good, I think, because they dive into one particular technology. They get to know it intimately and understand all aspects of it. But at that time, it makes it a little difficult when working outside their organization. Um, so I'd say overall, I mean, you look at the past 10 to 15 years, uh, actually now 10 to 20 years, forget what year it is sometime. I think it's going well. <laughs> Until there's a major disaster, we're doing fine. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I could talk all day. Let's go to some other people. Dr. Matthew. So uh, Tom and Jeremy, you were just talking about, okay, we have an organization, we have this idea. So we go to the IT department and Really, Jeremy, you hit it. Jeremy, you hit it right on the the nail. Uh, digital leaders are individuals who understand that potential of the technology to transform their organizations by implementing those changes. This within IO psychology, this really is that organization development and that change management that says, how do we as an organization? What does our vision? What does our strategy look like? And those digital leaders are those visionaries who can see how that emerging technology is going to create opportunities to be more effective, more efficient. They can they can uh, develop a clear guideline that can uh, lead that organization towards more digital integration. And, and it's been going on for a number of years, thinking all the way back to, for example, something as simple as going paperless statements at, at your bank or your credit union. That that idea, that concept may may have stemmed from somebody in the room that says, how do we cut costs? Maybe we don't send out paper. How do we do that? And then all of a sudden, now you're integrating digital into that conversation and you're adapting your organization. This is where IOs and within IO psychology, the OD, the organization development and the change management, this is where we thrive. This is where we say, great, let us come in and let's get all these different departments working together to really drive that organization and foster that culture that anybody can be that digital leader. You have that digital mindset where you are saying, what are we doing now that's working and, and are there ways that we can improve that? So that that's kind of, you know, the, there's um, the, the digital leaders and, and e-leadership doesn't have to be limited to just people with, te- with uh, uh, technical or, or, uh, IT experience, it's it, it can thrive anywhere within the organization. Even people like me. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> more, more reading I have to do. Uh, Rich, jump in here. Let's go to you. Hey, everyone. Thanks. Uh, so if everybody unmutes for a second, and I'm going to say something that you're going to hear everybody's eyes roll. <laughs> because I'm going to bring up Cotter. John Cotter, his eight steps change model, right? I mean, like we've all heard about this, right? But then this has been around since 1996. We still have to create the um the guiding coalition, right? I mean, I think that's where it that's where it starts, right? We have to have the um the management, the leadership team on board. And so there has to be that vision and strategy. That's where it has to start, right? With the objectives and get everybody on board. Every time I have seen a Salesforce implementation, uh, HubSpot, a CRM, uh, some other CRM, some uh, ERP system, whatever ends up being, you know, some organizational wide IT system that has gone awry, it always comes down to somebody from up above was not aligned to all of this and said, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And it trickles down. The attitudes are the hardest part about change management, bar none across the board, has been that way for years and will be that way going forward, I think. But that's where we come in, right? I mean, that's where that's what we're trained to do. I mean, I'm actually going through an OD and change management course through the Drucker School right now. Yay. And uh, so, you know, there are other there are other change management models than, you know, ProSci or or uh, Cotter's, you know, eight steps. But, uh, you know, in the end, whatever that whatever that um, style is that you're going to do, whatever the, the implementation is going to be, um, you still need to get people on board and it needs there needs to be some a level of urgency and there needs to be some buy in on the stakeholders all the way across the board. Sounds like I need an IO psychologist. Um, <laughs> hire an IO today. Um, I should have like a special discount. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. I guess kind of dealing with the definitions of digital leadership versus e-leadership, I I guess I don't see the split in skill set unless you've got to have somebody who's driving to the, the new destination, which is the digital frontier or whatnot, and then... Is there a difference in the skills that take to get to that digital place where that becomes the, how do we use the collaborative tools? How do we implement the technology? How do we embrace and work with AI? What are the, the rules and standards we have as far as those interactions? And then the next generation of leader is that e-leader who knows how to function and lead across all of these platforms. I would think it's the same sort of mindset that goes into both of them, but I'd be interested to hear how that might show itself differently in the two stages. Very good. Uh, lots of hands. Lee, let's go to you. Now, I think the one thing that's crucial to remember in this time is that there are two aspects to this, you know, that are they're, you know, kind of parallel path. You know, you've got the actual technical aspect of this, the, the IT portion of it, where, you know, all the, the beeps and squeaks happen. So you go through and you say, okay, this is what, this is our need. This is what we're going to do. This is our, our uh, you know, our, our uh, way we're going to do it and you know the whole thing application and whatnot but then you have the people side of it because i mean what is our greatest problem in it user error and and user lack of user acceptance and so you know this is where an it uh, or it and io can work so well together um that you know you have to gain that acceptance and and you have to to not just gain the acceptance, but get the uh, the willingness to learn the new stuff, or as Tom said, to read the new book or whatever. So, you know, when all else fails, read the instructions. And, you know, some of the biggest challenges that we have are at the top. I mean, I'm dealing with a thing right now at work. I got I got some, some you know, high-level people that are like, give me, you know, give access to these people, and we've got a process. And they're like, yeah, don't worry, don't worry about that. Well, that, that was a process for a reason. And if there's supposed to be an exception, we need to have an exception process, again, for a reason. And so you have to have that human part of it because, you know, humans are always the wild card. And you really need somebody who can effectively manage that, uh, the change process and, you know, aligning new. Because, I mean, just think about, you know, a whole new system, all the stuff that goes into the compliance, the audit, you know, responsibility, 
the uh, not even counting the the actual user experience and the training and you know access issues and access requirements and you know I could go on and on and on and most people are just like and eh, just give it to me I mean I remember implementing a, a new handheld you know back before you know everybody had a computer in their pocket we we're implementing a handheld computer system for for route sales for for a company I was working for and we had a gentleman retire. He straight up said, I'm not doing it. You know, I, he, he, we already had one. It was very simple, but, but, and he still wanted to go back to his paper invoices. And basically, we came out with this new one. He saw the demo and said, That's it. I'm done. I'm retiring. And he did. He straight up retired and said, I'm not doing it. And you have to be able to overcome that resistance in some way or convince those people that they need to, to, you know, go somewhere else, you know, whatever the case may be. But, yeah, there's a huge, huge human aspect to this where IOs could really contribute. Let me ask you this, though, Lee. Is there room in the workforce today for those people who want to go back to the paper? That's a tricky question. Um, and I'm going to give the typical IO answer. It depends. <laughs> um, because really, they may not be able to continue in the position they've been in. You know, if the position that you're in requires us to to uh, to change the technology or whatever, and you're not willing to go that route, we only got two options. You either need to change employers or you need to change positions if you're not going to change your attitude. Um, and so are there positions in your organization that someone can go, you know, old school, I guess? Uh, and if not, you know, how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to create a, a, a spot? Are you willing to, you know, give them a gold wash and show them the door? I mean, you, you, those are decisions that had to be made, and they got to be made pretty high up. Yeah. We'll leave that to leadership. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. So to build a little bit on what, what Lee was saying, um, I look at the digital leadership, the leadership into um, the digital realm as a, as a thought leadership process, right? And then there's the other side where the the e-leadership piece is how are you functioning as a leader in the digital realm <laughs> and when you look at it the leadership skills are pretty much the same it's just how do you execute them differently to achieve the same result that you would have in person and so one of those key pieces is how are you working to establish trust over that digital um, mechanism, right? And so how are you communicating and developing those relationships? If you can develop those relationships and develop the trust, then everything falls into line much more easily, right? You have that influence that you need as a leader. You have that credibility then as you need that you need as a leader. And so while the, the digital leadership the leadership of the digital transition is is important. The key pieces in e-leadership are really developing that trust and relationships to start so that then you can execute a lot of the other leadership skills. Once again, everything I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> Welcome to Work Cookie, Patrick. Let's go to you. Well, thanks. Good to be here. Good to finally make it here. And, you know, I do a lot of work on leadership, uh, executive coaching and those kinds of things. And, you know, Richard, you talked about Cotter and his 40 some years of research that tended to be um, somewhat useful. But his his latest book, the 2021 book, aptly named Change, uh, to me was a, a watershed um, moment for him that it was actually something useful, easy to read, easy to implement, and insightful. So I appreciate it. He's a late bloomer, I guess. Um, and then Nick, you talked about, you know, digital versus, you know, e-leadership, those different skills. And Linda, you know, you chimed in on that. And coming into the COVID era, we had gathered a lot of data on, on our clients of who was actually leading well, um, who, who we were working with to actually, you know, develop leaders in addition to executives and managers and supervisors. And we found that we could very easily predict who was going to make it through the COVID era um, much more easily than, than the other companies. And that was those companies that were actually leading, whether it was leading and the people, the followers were sitting next to you down the hall or across the digital divide. So, 
I often characterize it as the what and the how. You know, the digital stuff is the what. The how is the leadership component. And I really don't see it, uh, much of a difference in skill set, regardless of if they're working through Zoom or Teams or, or sitting next to the, the people that they're working with. It's regardless of the of the the role that they have in the organization, the the box in the in the org chart. Um, anyone can lead, um, uh, regardless of if you've got a, a managerial or an executive uh, role and position in the organization. So, um, and then you know, with colleagues that I've, I've compared notes with and the data that we've kind of compiled, you know, the, that story kind of remained uh, largely largely accurate. We could tell if you were already leading well, you did well when you had to make that kind of quick shift over to, to digital. Yeah, we just need more leadership training, period, uh, to make the world better. Uh, Maria, good to Hi. see you back. Let's go to you. Nice to be back. Um, so I'm on both sides of the Lee and uh, Linda and sword, so to speak. Um, I agree with Lee that, you know, oftentimes people need to step up to the plate, accept the change, get on board because business needs to go on as usual. But I also um, believe with Linda Ann that, you know, the relational piece is important. And something we don't often talk about during change in an organization is that true psychological contract and the reality of when it's stable, change will happen more efficiently because people have the opportunity to say, I don't understand or I'm struggling with or why are we doing this? Doesn't mean we're challenging the organization, doesn't mean we're not buying into the change, but people without that psychological stability in their organization are going to have fear of bringing up those topics, which creates resistance in the end. Well, I need a whole manual of how to deal with that, Um, but I'll talk to you privately. Uh, Richard, let's go back to you. Yeah. uh, One thing that I wanted to mention um, it's it's regarding like people who have a hesitancy to adopt the change, right? Um, you know, if we look at human capital theory, right, where the organization is borrowing the KSAOs of the people that work for them um, to derive value, and so if those people aren't there, then they don't, they can't derive value, right? But those KSAOs belong to us, and that's one of the things that when I when I've done training and development, like that the what we're learning, what we've learned as students, what, what we're gaining as, as trainees, you know, that is stuff that belongs to us. And, you know, they can't take that away from us. And and it's important from a digital, you know, from to, to be like a digital citizen, right, uh, to get all of those uh, those skills. Because if you don't like what's happening in this organization right now, because of this digital, you know, this need to aligned to, you know, I'm going to go back to Salesforce again, because let me put it in the chat there. But, you know, if you don't want to do that now, the next organization you go to, chances are they have something similar to that, that you're going to need to adapt to, right? So it's, 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 you're hardly going to escape that unless you're going to an organization that's kind of thinking backwards. If you're going for a forward thinking organization, it makes sense to pay attention to the training and, and get some of those competencies under your belt, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Nick, let's go back to you. Yeah, thinking about the those that are hesitant or are unable or want to hold on to the paper and, and pencil methods, I think that's that is a challenge for leaders going to that digital space. You have to address that. And you either have to take the hesitancy as a moment to pause and say, is new always better? Are we missing something in that tactile process that we're not going to be able to replicate digitally? Or you know, looking to that motivation of, I want to hold on to my, my ledger because I can see it and it's clear. Well, okay, what is that a control over numbers? Is that a control over something else? And address that in in satisfying that need in, in the digital space. And I mean, remembering that these are all tools. I think we always kind of come back to to that as we get into to digital and AI and all that. You know, tools are only as good as the people who wield them. And if it's a matter of increased training, a matter of adaptability, um, you know, we'll make accommodations for, you know, a variety of things uh, because it's the right thing to do and because it's required by law. At what point, you know, do we make accommodations for stubbornness or contrary opinions, depending on how you want to look at how people are handling uh, their resistance in the change? Yeah, you know, and change is, is 
personal almost at times because you know I'm old enough to remember you know when I started post secondary I had to type essays and by the time I graduated with my masters I was using a computer and a word processor <laughs> and I didn't have to buy whiteout anymore so <laughs> I appreciate that but at the same time I don't have an e-reader I like books I like the feel I like the smell of a new book so maybe I'm unique maybe not uh, Linda Ann let's go to you one thing that, you know, we have these discussions about what different things look like or how they can be implemented. And so the one thing when I work with leaders that are trying to develop their leadership skills, who are trying to um, evolve and, and learn how to do things a little bit better, the one step I give them to let them know first, the terms that you use in your language, your language pattern matters. And whether and that's whether it's over a Zoom or in person, that really matters. The other thing is, is to get into the practice of initiating your conversations with a question. Just get into every time you go to interact with one of your um, employees or, or someone you're working with, start it with a question. And that's one that can't be answered with yes or no. You know, things like just how are you doing today? Or what was your biggest obstacle today? Or um, what would make this process easier for you? Whatever that is, uh, try to go through the pattern of starting your interactions with a question. And that does a lot. It helps develop trust and comfort. It also gives you a greater insight into the landscape that you're working in, and it can help you avoid landmines, <laughs> stepping on landmines as a, as a leader and, and so forth. So um, in the realm of e-leadership, I would encourage people to try to get into the pattern and habit of starting their conversations with a question. I think that's always good advice. Uh, Alexander, welcome to Work Cookie. Unmute your mic and join us. Thank you. So we're definitely talking about something that involves a lot of key stakeholders involved in this. Lee talked about some really great points in there. You need to make sure that there's kind of the technological capabilities within it. And so there is actually a small, small growing companies that are using a new position called the chief digital officer, who's really is their job to bring in all these key stakeholders and be able to figure out how we're going to implement these kind of issues and solutions. So one of the stories that I have to share is about a company that used Notation. Now, if you've used Notation, it's a lovely platform. It's a really great one that works extremely well, but it doesn't offer actually backups from third parties, which leaves you reliant on Notation to actually back up your data. And they're notoriously bad at that. A lot of times they're backups fail and it can take sometimes even weeks just to try to get a hold of them to get your data backed up which isn't very viable for a company if they're really needing to be able to do that so this is one of those areas where a lot of smaller companies especially they love notation and they use it but it causes these type of backup issues and that's where your it department can be one of those key stakeholders to say hey yes it's a great solution yeah it works great but it actually doesn't meet the real technical needs that we need to be able to work with this type of software so i think what we're kind of seeing this is a lot of people have a precipitancy to say yes you know we want to go with the software that we know and we also see that in the selection of jobs. We know from different kind of open access research from different vendors that people are around 200% more likely to accept a job that has um, software that they're already used to using. And so that kind of answers one of those questions about, yeah, a lot of the people don't want to learn new software and they are essentially trying to find companies that maybe just use Salesforce because that's been a pretty common example here. So those are just kind of one of those areas where there is a lot of change into this and it really does, you're going to have to start developing relationships with people across the board, identify the people who can lead other people in departments to accept these changes. It really goes into a full sales process at that point. If you don't mind, Alexander, I'd like to ask you from what you're seeing, you know, we have a tendency to watch the big tech companies when it comes to change of movement like this. You know, what is Google doing? Uh, but is it not true that we should actually be looking at some of those smaller companies that may be a bit more progressive in how they're using this new technology? I think so. So we always tend to focus towards those large companies, right? But the bulk of the American industry is actually small companies that are, I think, the statistics somewhere like 30 employees or less. And so we have the bulk of our workforce really is these small employees. 
and we do need to be looking at those companies too. Um, that is kind of shortfall in places like Google, who does try to charge way too much money. Microsoft does the same. So we're kind of leaving out a large chunk of our entire economy that isn't having access to the tools that something like Notation comes in, but then doesn't offer those same viable business solutions that we really need. Thank you for that. Lee, let's get back to you. You know, I think one one thing that you know we'd be remiss not bringing up in this is you know this is often a time when you have to you know kind of manage up and whatnot because you know why are you changing are you changing just to change are you changing because you saw something in the wall street journal i mean what exactly is the reason if you've got i mean because we we all you know in the military we call them good idea fairies you know they have no idea how to do it they just think hey let's do this and often you get you know, senior people and organizations who come up with some great idea because they heard it on a podcast or they read it in an article. And, and, uh, and of course, you know, those in IT can tell, you know, when somebody comes in and goes, Hey, make this happen. And they're like, how, what, what? And so, you know, in our realm, in IOs, a lot of times you have to go in there and you have to ask those questions. Like Lynn Ann said, leading with a question. I mean, it's so huge. I mean, you know, I want to do this. Okay, well, why do we want to do this? What are we trying to do? What is the business case for this? What, you know, what are we exactly we're doing? Not just, hey, I, I, I saw it, it sounded cool. I saw it at a conference, sounds like the best thing ever. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that out there. And, and, and people throw a whole, whole lot of money at stuff that ultimately fails on implementation because it's not the right thing. They don't need it. They can't properly adopt it. I mean, there there's so much there that you got to do, and so I mean, a lot of it just comes down to why, what, you know, what are you doing? Unless you heard it on Work Cookie, then you should definitely do it. Uh, <laughs> Nick, let's go to you. Thinking about you know, kind of the, the standard tools, you know, Microsoft Word. You know, I'd see people asking for that in job uh, listings. Like, what do do we need to do that? It's you know, ubiquitous. I mean, it's just common to to most people's experience or at least people uh, of my age range, where it's just always been there and I haven't had to learn anything else. Um, but I think when we talk about, you know, the idea of going digital is best or, or just, just making that assumption, um, you know, by the time it gets to something like Microsoft or Google or the big heavy hitters, it's been proven somewhere else before. So I think the point to look towards the smaller organizations because they're nimble um, they can kind of do that. Um, back to the Salesforce example, I was in a role where I was territory management and we needed it to do something that it couldn't do. Uh, we had to keep records, you know, in just a slightly different way than the sales team did. And so we were trying to put a square peg in a round hole and we're like, okay, we'll go to Microsoft CRM and it'll fix all our problems. It did not. And we ended up going back to Salesforce as well because it just integrated better with the company. So, I mean, you've got to be willing to experiment to some degree, um, but you might just have to work with with a handicap. And I think that's where these digital leaders kind of say, okay, do we need software to solve the problem or do we need people to solve the problem? I think that's a good idea. And Dr. O. Patrick, sorry, back to you. Thanks. Um, since we're so much talking about change, and I think leadership and change are, are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. And actually, the, the, the definition that I often use of the 47 million definitions of leadership um, with my clients is the ability to drive positive change with the caveat where you are not the primary beneficiary of that change. Um, so I put a couple of resources out, out in chat. Um, some of you who have been on the Thursday, on Lee's Thursday evenings, you've seen this before, the uh, secret sauce for leading transformational change. A bunch of colleagues and I wrote this. I've got two chapters. I get no financial gain from, from the sale of the book. And coming out of that, there's a forum coming up uh, the first week in November. Um, that registration is, I think, $100. You get, you know, and 15 hours of content for that. There are a number of IOs uh, presenting in that and a number of IOs who, who uh, authored the book, um, but all kinds of different perspectives. Tom, to your point, you know, small mom and pops up to um, very, very large organizations and some really good nuggets, certainly in the book. And I would anticipate um, during the forum coming up here in a couple of weeks. So check those out if that's something that you're interested in. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Patrick. I think we need to get you an agent, though. Uh, 
you need to get paid for that book. Uh, Dr. Manfred, do it for the love here. of the profession. Uh, <laughs> it only gets us so far. Uh, Dr. Matthew, let's go back. Sure. So a lot of awesome conversations around that change management within digital leadership. I think another important piece to keep in mind is the approaching the conversation is more than just a group of IOs saying, hey, here's what digital leadership is. There are studies out there. I think PricewaterhouseCooper put one out, and it was something like 85% of, of senior executives have said that digital integration is going to be a key factor for their business plan for the next five to 10 years. You have studies by uh, Harvard Business Review and MIT and Gallup and Gardner, all these that, that are saying that digital integration, the way that uh, those tools and those resources can be integrated into the organization can lead to increased engagement, reduced cost, more efficiency, all sorts of things that these business leaders, that's what they're looking at. So when you go back to, you know, we can talk about how is it integrated or what do, what products or services do we use to integrate it? It all comes back to the why. And with these business executives, that why is going to drive that conversation so often. That's where within IO, within OD and change management, uh, this this panel that we have here, these are the resources. These are the questions. I love that piece that Linda Ann has brought up and so many have, have echoed the questions, asking the questions, because, yeah, you can go to a conference and come back and say, this is a great piece of, of technology. Let's do it. But if you go back to the why and you really understand the why, you can actually start to understand, is this the best resource for us? There was a question in the chat what's the best change model? And the conversation kind of through the chat was a great conversation, but really the way that I look at it, it's like a toolbox. You have all these different change models that can be applied, but one may be better suited for an organization than another. That doesn't mean that that one is the only one to always go to. Sometimes a drill is better than a screwdriver, is better than a hammer, is better than you know whatever else. It's being able to go into that conversation and ask the question, why are we doing this? What is our our end goal or what, even if we don't know the end goal, what is the direction that we're trying to take this organization? And really those leaders are already coming to the table saying, I know digital is going to be a part of it. We need to be a, not just a individual, an individual leader in the conversation, but we as an organization need to be leading that in our industry to stay competitive and stay relevant. So just a couple things to throw in there to that conversation. Uh, let me challenge you a little bit though, Dr. Matthew, because logically it all makes sense. But we're, you know, we're going through a situation now with, you know, everything from co-located all the way, you know, to through high bid and remote work styles. And we can put out all the logic, all the reasons why, you know, probably some sort of combination of all are the most effective, most profitable. But when it comes down to leadership, they're, they're making that emotional decision. You know, despite all the information, I just don't feel good when there's nobody in the office and they're all working you know, hybrid or remote. So do you think we're going to go down the same path with this where, you know, becoming more digital is, you know, the smart thing to do. We don't want to get left, you know, in the wasteland of organizations that used to be who wouldn't accept change, but we have leadership who just doesn't feel like it. So I'm going to borrow a line that Lee throws out there a lot. It depends. And within that organization, that organization, if there's resistance to going remote, which is totally fine, that is a very valid um, perspective and a very valid interest. And so then being able to then ask questions, tell me more about what, what, is, this what is this resistance? What is it that you feel is lacking when you're now remote? And what is driving that, that emotion to, to come back into the office? being able to find interest-based solutions to that conflict resolution that says, hey, here's a way that we can actually include your value and your perspective. Tom, you have been a great employee of ours, and we don't want to say, get on the bus or, or go away. You know, this is where we're going. No, we want to include you in that conversation. That's, that, that's another type of leadership style that says, hey, we're going to bring everyone together. But ultimately, when we're looking at, at how do we make business uh, how do we make our organization run more effectively, more efficient? How do we stay relevant? How do we make sure that we are here tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Turning a blind eye to digital is is putting the head in the sand and, and it's going to catch up to you at some point or another. Somebody else made a comment about if you avoid a certain training, but then when you go to another organization, they're already using that service. So it's it's in your best interest to be aware of it. You don't have to go all eggs in one basket for that, but being able to integrate that. So to your question, how do 
how do we approach that when somebody says, hey, look, I don't want to go remote? Well, the pendulum's going to swing back and forth. COVID really took a lot of people who, there before COVID, there were a bunch of people who were voluntarily exploring that. COVID pushed that and, and people were either voluntarily or voluntold to go remote. The pendulum's going to swing back and it's going to continue to swing and find that middle ground that's going to be different for each organization and those leaders and those people involved in those conversations. So in a very long way of saying, it depends. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, I see your hand up. Should we go back to you? No. Then let's go to Linda Ann. So quickly to what Matthew, uh, Dr. Matthew was talking about, um, and that is when you have some of that resistance from people who don't want to transition to, you know, whatever digital platform it is that, that you're trying to initiate, it's important for them to understand that the company is paying, basically paying money to educate you and keep you skilled in a relative, um, in something that's keeping you relevant in the in the workforce. And so if they can accept that mindset or they can make that decision not to, but that's an educated mindset to, to really um, embrace that. The other thing, and I, I was thinking that maybe Alexander would be a good person to respond to this, and that is the challenge of using technology to its capacity. So many times you implement, you know, and my favorite example of this is, is Excel, right? It's Excel as a as a software has enormous capabilities, and most people use it to add and subtract. And so, what if we could use some of these platforms that we're initiating to their full capacity, and then paying attention to how they can interface with each other? You know, there's ways to to get them to Zapier is a is a great way to get some things to interface with each other. But um, it's frustrating when a company implement so many different platforms and they don't talk to each other. So when you're evaluating the initiation of a platform um, or some kind of technology, really evaluate how is that going to interface with any of the current or possibly future platforms that you also want to integrate so that it's not, well, I'm, I've got six different programs I'll open on my computer and none of them talk to each other and I'm re-entering stuff all over the place. So that's that's a real digital fatigue that that can take place. iPhone five. <laughs> I'm old school. Nick, let's go to you. I think there's part of this as we go to you know talk about digital. The model of just buying a copy of Microsoft Word and it's good for perpetuity is out the window. the The tools that we're using are so iterative and they're being updated constantly. And so there's a lot of back and forth between the user and the tool and adjusting to what you know, its capabilities are. Um, and I think that automation is one of those scary words for people. But just as Linda Ann just said, you know, if we can't get these things to talk to each other and I can enter it once and it spits out across the whole form, you know, that's that's going to save time, energy, and you have to know which numbers to put in. It's not going to replace you. Um, but just, you know, hoping that those iterations are so so quick and they're they're subtle. So the tool that we have in Salesforce today is not what it was even a year and a half ago because they've got to fix bugs and and you know you've customized it to your organization and so I think that the speed of change is is constant almost and so you're never going to get to that next sort of plateau because as soon as you do we're going to find a new problem to go solve uh, and we're off to the races once more. Carolyn, over to you. You know, as I'm listening to this conversation. Um... I think someone earlier, I think it might have been you, Tom, that asked, you know, well, what do we do? Is there a space for people who don't take on that digitization? And as I was kind of processing everything that everyone was saying, a couple of things came to mind. Are we considering or how are we as organizations considering that learning curve, the disability curve in, in picking something up? Maybe we're not used to learning technology the same way as you know, people just coming out of college today, you know, or, or you know, a different generation understandings of the terminology as, as Linda Ann was talking about, you know, and then and then the other fact when when you mentioned that the thing that came to mind is losing that, that I don't want I don't know if it's called not generational knowledge, but the industrial knowledge of that organization, the organizational knowledge, the historic such. And, um, you know, it started, <laughs> I was sitting with one of one of my grandkids the other day and goes, Oh, I just punched that on a calculator. It gives me my number, I put it in here. But what happens when the internet goes down or 
the system or something? Do we still have those basic skills behind the technologies or do we have to depend on our IT people before we function? So I do believe personally that there is a place for that, but I also think it could be in a training or guiding role to why are we where we are? You know, you think about the E6B flight computers that were used for pilots back in the day, a long metal thing. And now a plane is all digitized. Do the pilots really know how to use the basics anymore? What happens if we have to plot something different? You know, so when you think about change, we always think about moving forward and moving where we're going. But what are we putting in in that, as someone said, the iterative process is, is making it better. But what are we doing to make sure that we're keeping the foundational skills there as well? And I, and I do believe that in those aspects, it's something we need to consider, or at least have some sort of that redundancy built into our organizations. Um, and then as far as the skill level and using technology to its fullest capacity, and also individuals claiming they have certain skills, do we need to put Microsoft Office still on applications and things? You know, I'm, an, I, I'm great with Microsoft Office, Excel and everything, but my understanding of where I fit in that category because I know I'm good at whatever it is, when I get to an organization that's using it to its full capacity, maybe I'm not. You know, So how do we measure ourselves within that scope when we are advertising our knowledge based on something? Because the only scope that we have is where we stand when we're presenting ourselves or when the organization's asking. So I think that it's important as organizations that we're clear with the ex- expectations of knowledge level within those technologies as well. And if not, we're able to help get our employees to that point once they come on board without making them feel like, I just got a new job. I can't ask that question. Oh my gosh, they're going to think I don't know. How do I do? And then we fall backward. So just a, just a few thoughts. Thank you very much. Patrick, Patrick, to you. Thanks, Tom. And I want to go back to the conversation, Tom, you were having with Matthew. And Tom, you had said something about leadership just doesn't like it, referring to kind of remote work. And I would I would ask that we, as IOs, as professionals, Quit giving the gift of the title leader or leadership to people who are not leading. So if they're if they don't like it, then they're probably not leading, right? That they're not looking at what's happening around them. That they're not having those conversations that we've heard others um, talk about. To how do we get from point A to point B? I don't like it, so by God, you're going to be in the office. That's not leadership. So let's quit giving them the, the the gift, the honorific of being called leaders. I think there's a whole campaign <laughs> that needs to be started. Off, off my soapbox. There we go. I love that soapbox. Alexander, let's go back to you. That was a perfect person to be in front of me, honestly. So I'm going to flip mine because I was going to put this in on the end, but now this fits perfectly. So I'm going to address the Microsoft point. So I don't like it leadership that is something that we see very heavily within kind of it a lot of them have grown up with microsoft if you look currently over 83 percent of all u.s schools don't teach microsoft they teach google workspace one of our local schools has google painted on one of the brick walls in their schools you have a very hard change coming with your workforce where if you're not teaching how to use office in your workplace your future workforce won't really be knowing. And that's one of those things exactly. A lot of the people say, I don't like Google Workspace. I know Microsoft. We're staying with Microsoft, but nobody's actually saying, okay, but what are you going to do when you have a workforce that doesn't know it? Because that's really what's coming up right now. I'm going to jump now back to my part, and I'm just going to actually keep this going backwards. Um, For Linda Ann's portion, we... I have another company that's in Scotland. They do Google Workspace partners. They're training a lot of Google Workspace. And so that's one of those big things. Um, I constantly hear from him when he's doing trainings with companies. They never have ever received formal training from a company on how to use Office products. And so when the company has invested into Google Workspace and they're paying a company to go ahead and train their workforce on it and get that buy-in and get people comfortable with it. That's really one of those big points to be able to get people to utilize those technologies fully. Now I'm gonna start with my first original point was the transition of this change. So there was many years ago, a lot of studies being done. A lot of IT workers were just feeling very fatigued. I'm sure it's much more now because of the fast pace of the change. Technology just moves so quickly, it's really not kind of natural at its pace of change. And so that's really caused a lot of IT people in the past to leave the industry. 
I think what we're kind of seeing now is it's moving beyond just IT workers. We're seeing everyone is starting to become overwhelmed with AI, Bitcoin, NFTs. It's changing so rapidly that it's too overwhelming to really understand all of these technologies to their full potential. And so I think you're really getting to people have to just make a choice and it might not be the right choice, but at least maybe they're making a choice. And then you get into some that are just kind of going into paralysis. And those are the companies that you're starting to see kind of falter at this point. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, so, Dr. Jeremy, here we are once again. We've we've almost exhausted an hour. Um, how have you been doing? This is uh, absolutely excellent. And sometimes it made me think, do I need to prepare as much? Because there's so much great stuff that goes on that you guys just take it away. I just count the number of speakers today. I think it's absolutely fantastic. That's the goal is getting as many people to, to share their uh, awesome insights and experiences during these open mics. Um, I'll mention I'll mention before I get into uh, the upcoming events and then we close out. Uh, is this going to change in terms of hiring, in terms of how people are hiring for selection? Because is there a determination of resilience that's needed? <clears throat> Quick antidote, I have a friend who teaches at a university, and they went from basically, they went between three different plagiarism checkers, like uploading assignments, check for plagiarism, within probably a nine-month span. So it was the one that they had always been with, new one, then another new one, and now this past month, they go back to the to the original plagiarism checker. But it makes a difference because, and I don't know why, but it makes a difference because then they had to redo all of their assignments to go to the new plagiarism checker in the middle of a semester, right after midterms. So in this friend of mine, you know, it didn't matter. We, okay, whatever. So it's an extra like 30 minutes. But that's the attitude that it should be, right? All right, whatever. You know, nothing I can change. I'm working with another organization who for years and years have hired based on, oh, this person has basically a nice bubbly personality. They'll fit with the culture. But then they notice that the particular on-the-job task, because of the nature of the work, that there's a very high turnover rate since this particular hiring practice. So now they're looking at, okay, do we need to start hiring and look at this uh, a resilience factor and maybe look at some assessment for resilience? So then the question is, because of this, and we're talking about e-leadership and digital leadership, are these new technologies going to change, start to change hiring practices to use maybe, maybe even for um, uh, not just executive and, and managerial positions, but using some psych assessments for resilience for all staff and changing the recruitment process, changing the questions that are asked during an interview to point more towards resilience and being able to handle change, not knowing what's coming next. Because that's the one thing. A lot of people are there are a lot of people that aren't okay with change, of course. There are a lot of people, the majority of people are okay with change, even but as long as they know how it's going to affect them. Now we're getting to this, okay, we have to be okay with change, even not knowing that. So uh, interesting points before we close out. As far as uh, events coming up next week, ooh, so next week we're going to be talking about sustainable sustainability leadership ethical leadership in the age of purpose. And before that, and all these are at cbock.com slash event. If you're an IO Career Pathfinder member, uh, there's a meetup tomorrow at noon. Uh, our CBOC members momentum session is next Tuesday at 10. We have a keep next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Keep the drive alive, our monthly post three-day event gathering. Many of you received an email today. Uh, all 17 sessions from, are from the CBOC three-day event that we had in August are now up and live on the podcast. So if you missed any or, or want to re review them, you know, go, net, go Netflix and just binge on them all you want. And we also have, um, so our regional meetups are starting, uh, we've got a Rocky Mountain U.S. region, new, brand new. That first one of those is going to be November 7th at 6 p.m., so you can see, find that at uh, at the website as well. And then the New England, Northeast US region one should be up soon. And we're happy to say that uh, Lee Crossan's event tonight, pop-up networking event is tonight. And we're going to start having his pop-up networking events on the CBOC events page loaded starting next week. So everyone can find them there as well. I don't think I missed anything. Tom, any final thoughts? Well, just that I have talked to some IOs up here in Canada, and especially Western Canada. So it's time to get the Rocky Mountain region of Alberta with a local meetup. So I'm counting on you, Alberta IO psychologists, to 
let me know yeah. what happens. <laughs> and if anyone wants to lead a particular region, just send a uh, an email to hello at cbock.com and we'll get you set up. Tom, maybe we'll just have you lead the Rocky Mountain Alberta <laughs> meetup yes. going forward. I'd get lost in my own province. Um, <laughs> and with that, I think it's time for you to count us out and we'll see everyone in one week's time. Amazing, everyone. Counting out at five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.